Have you ever been in a courtroom or been part of a trial by jury? Certainly we've seen enough of these on television, but have you been there yourself? Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Most of us have only stood trial vicariously, but today in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to learn that someday we'll be a part of three different trials ourselves. So as you turn in your Bible, let's read a brief but great letter from a listener of our Hindi broadcast in India. He writes, I used to be a depressed person and the power of darkness ruled my life. I would often fight and beat my wife and children. In fact, I wanted to be separated from my family. One day, I happened to listen to your program while I was searching for some entertainment on the radio. I heard that we should love one another, and I was convicted to show more love to my wife and children. Since then, I've listened regularly. Today, my family leads a very peaceful and joyful life. Thank you for showing me the way to follow Jesus Christ. Well, God's word is so good. Let's commit this time to him. Father, only your spirit can reveal the things of Christ to us. So thank you for this good example. Direct your spirit now to open our eyes that we may see the wonderful truth in your word and be transformed ourselves. We ask this in the name above all names, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Now, Dr. J. Vernon McGee will lead us in our study of 1 Corinthians 4 as we go through the Bible. Now we come today to the fourth chapter here of 1 Corinthians, and we have here the last chapter in which Paul is dealing with the divisions and the party spirit that was in the church in Corinth. And in this chapter, he speaks of the conditions of Christ's servants, and that is what should constrain Christian conduct. And will you note here how he begins? He says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, let me pause there for just a moment in that very wonderful verse. Actually, we are all ministers of Christ. Every believer is a minister of of Christ. I don't care who you are. And one of the reasons today that I make that statement is that it's so easy for somebody in the church to say, well, he's my minister. Well, I want to be very kind, but I want to be rather firm. I'm not your minister. I trust I'm the minister of Christ. I'm responsible to him. And therefore, you have no right to sit in judgment on others, especially those that at least think they're doing the will of God, because actually the ministers stand before a higher court than you and than I am. Now, Paul is going to mention three courts here that all of us have to appear before, every one of you have to go before three courts, and your case is appealed from one to the other, by the way. Now, will you notice that he also says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, a steward is one who had charge of giving out the things that were in the house, the food, for instance, the clothes, and that sort of thing. Now, a minister today, in that sense, is one that should dispense the Word of God. 
You remember the Lord Jesus gave the mystery parables. And by the way, we have here for the third time a reference to the mystery. Here it is, we're stewards of the mysteries of God. Now let's identify those mysteries. The mysteries are those things that had not been revealed before. And the mysteries are those things that cannot be understood by the natural man. He does not understand it. Only the Spirit of God can take the things of Christ and show them unto us. And that's the mystery. And it's the gospel here, and it is actually the Word of God. We're stewards of the mysteries of God, and we dispense that. Now, in the mystery parable discourse in Matthew 13, our Lord concluded it by saying, do you understand these things? Well, they said they did. I don't know whether they did or not. I don't think they did at the time. But he did not say they didn't, nor did he say he did. But he did say this. He said, a household, a steward, brings forth from his treasure things both new and old. Now, that's what today a steward should be doing, bringing forth from the Word of God things new and things old. When anyone used to say to me, well, I've heard that before, what you preached on today. Well, I always say that I'm a steward that's to bring forth things both new and old. So today, I brought forth a little of the old. I'm sorry that you didn't like it, but that's my business. I'm to bring forth things both new and old. Stewards of the mysteries of God. How wonderful. And I can't think of any calling any higher than that. But actually now here, all of us really are ministers of Christ. You're a preacher, whether you know it or not. And don't get angry with me. There was a man that lived down from the church here in Pasadena when I was pastor here. And this man was a habitual drunkard. He was an alcoholic, a real sot. And he lived with his mother. And his mother, a wonderful Christian, wanted me to talk with him. He's a grown man and So one day, I saw him staggering down the street, so I just detoured him into my study. Didn't have much difficulty there, and he sat down. I told him what a sorry fellow he was. He agreed with every bit of it. And then I said to him, I said, did you know you're a preacher? He stood up. He says, don't you call me that. He says, I'll hit you. (laughs) And do you know that fellow? He didn't mind being called a drunkard or an alcoholic, but he sure didn't want to be called a preacher. Well, All of us are preachers, and I said to him, we preach by our lives some message. You are saying to the world, those around you, you're saying something by your life. You can't help it. I live my life into you. You live your life into me. It's just that way. We have that kind of influence. Therefore, we're all ministers of Christ. And if we're believers, what kind of a message are we giving? Now, the important thing about a steward is not that he'd be eloquent or that he might not have many gifts, but moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And it took me a long time to learn that in the church, but I believe that's the most important thing of all is to be faithful. Oh, how many are going to be rewarded someday, not because they did some great thing or that they had some great gift. But what they did and how they served, they were faithful. Faithfulness. That a man be found faithful. And I learned over the years as a pastor in a church that you always had a few 
They were the faithful, faithful few. You could depend on them. You could rest on them. You knew where they stood. Now, he goes on to say, listen now to Paul, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Now, that may seem to be a rather difficult verse, or these two verses, but actually they're not. What we have here are the three courts that all of us have to appear before. And the reason that you have no right to sit in judgment on me and I have no right to sit in judgment on you is because you're going to stand before a higher court, and I am too. Now, the first court are others, the opinion of others. Notice what he says. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment, the opinion of others. Phillips in his, and I don't want to call it a translation. I do not think it's a good translation. I think it's an excellent interpretation. And here's a good interpretation, verse 3. But as a matter of fact, it matters very little to me what you or any man thinks of me. And that's a good interpretation of it. It's a striking statement, and it sounds like Paul is antisocial. But Paul was not callous or contemptuous of the opinion of others. It does not mean that he did not value the judgment of others. Paul was not immune to the expression and estimation of those about him. He defended his apostleship with great feeling when it was challenged by others. And he was always hurt by false rumors. Right here in this very chapter, he mentions that. You find here, he speaks in verse 11, "...even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst, naked, buffeted, no certain dwelling place, and labor, working with our hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat." We are made as the filth of the world and are of the offscouring of all things under this day. You see, Paul was very sensitive to the opinion of others. But Paul was not swayed by what others thought. Actually, his life was not directed by others. They were not at the steering wheel of his life. He did not listen to the backseat driver. Now, whether we like it or not, we all stand before the judgment seat of others. It's just something that you and I cannot avoid. And yet it's practiced too much in this country. It was Abraham Lincoln that said, public opinion in this country is everything. That's, I think, true. And unfortunately, it is true. And we find here that there's a danger to defer to the opinion of others, yield to the criticisms of our enemies, surrender to them. Many court favor and popularity of the crowd. That's what the politicians do. We referred to one last time. Some will surrender principles and honor and reputation. And it was Milton who said, the last infirmity of a noble mind is the love of fame. And that is the thing that today that a great many go after. Horace Greeley, remember the editor in New York Sun, said, fame is a vapor. Popularity and accident. Riches take wings. Those who cheer today will curse tomorrow. 
Only one thing endures. That's character. And again, we find that someone else has said the trouble with most of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. And that, of course, I'm afraid is true also. Now, will you notice that Paul was swayed but never changed by the opinion of others? So he says here, it's a very small thing that I should be judged to you or of man's judgment. Then he makes this statement, yea, I judge not mine own self. Now, the court that's a little higher than the opinion of others is another court. It's oneself, and that's conscience. That's a higher court, by the way, the court of one's conscience. Now, is conscience a safe guide? Well, Paul says it's not. It's not an accurate guide. We're to be led of the Spirit. We've already had the age of conscience in the past, and it ended in a flood. The Christian should have an enlightened conscience. And when it rebukes us and tells us we're wrong, we should hearken to it and obey it. And when it approves our easygoing ways, our appeals to our vanity, and flatters us, we should beware of it. All of us stand or fall before this court, though. Was it Shakespeare who said, To thine own self be true? And as the night follows the day, thou canst not be false to any man. And I think it was Longfellow that put it like this. Not in the clamor of the crowded street, not in the shouts and plaudits of the throng, but in ourselves are triumph and defeat. And this is something today that an honest man will not be influenced and guided by others, but what he thinks is right. It's a brave formula. It's a noble rule. Yet Paul said he didn't follow it. Paul refused to pass final judgment on himself. And again, if I may use Phillips as just an interpretation, he says, I don't even value my opinion of myself, but that doesn't justify me before God. It wasn't that he knew something against himself. On the contrary, he says he knew nothing against himself, but that didn't clear him. Because it's characteristic of human nature, we are harsh on others and lenient on ourselves. That was David's problem, you remember. He could see the evil in someone else, but not in himself. Well, when others engage in idle talk and gossip, do we? Are we telling the truth and are we honest? When others hold to some opinion and are contentious, do we have the courage of our convictions? When others cause divisions and are troublemakers, are we standing for the right? When others forsake God's house and are backslidden, do we have a good excuse? You know, we're not apt to be severe upon ourselves. We always like to cast ourselves in a leading role, and it's generally distorted. We do not stand or fall before ourselves because God may reverse the decision of this court. And there is another court, by the way. There is that court of others. There is the court of oneself. And then there's the court of the one and only master, the Bema of Christ. And will you notice what he says here, verse 4, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Now he says, I'm going to stand someday before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to talk about that in the second epistle in the fifth chapter, 
and we'll wait till we get there to go into it, but each one of us will appear. So then, each one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what's going to be judged there? Well, not our sins, because as far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins from us. He remembers them no more, and the sins are under the blood. Well, we're going to be judged as stewards. Our stewardship will be under inspection. And our physical possessions, our bodies, our material resources, our giving, all of these things are going to be judged, you see. These are the things that are to be brought up. And it's a pretty important office to be a steward today. After all, we own nothing. As we said before, all things are Christ, and we belong to him, and we're in partnership with him. And it's a wonderful thing that Paul says here as he closed this third chapter, as we saw last time, or time before last, I guess it was, all things are ours. Paul is ours, and Paulus is ours. Well, are you a Calvinist? Well, Calvin belongs to me, and so does John Wesley. And the world, I do not mean organized society, the secular world, but this world I live in, I can enjoy its scenery, its beauty, the mountains, the trees, and the ocean, and life. But death is ours. Very well, Dr. Parker says, death is yours. It belongs to you. Death is not to master you. You're going to master it. Death's yours. <laughs> Oh, how wonderful. Things present. You belong to Christ and you belong to me. And things to come, the pathway into the future, the highway markers are up. The foundations have been washed out. So what? May I say, things to come. All of these things are ours. How wonderful it is. And I'm going to stand before him someday. I should live in the light of that. Now listen to Paul. Therefore, verse 5, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. He's the one. When you sit in judgment on someone else, you're taking the Lord's place, you see. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. I remember someone came to me several years ago and said that, a certain individual was criticizing me. I said, what is he saying? And he told me. Oh, I said, that's all right. And so I started to walk away. And the fellow says, aren't you going to do something about it? I said, no. I said, if that's all he knows, I know more than he does. And if that's the best he can do. I really know something about myself. Now, the hidden works of darkness are going to be brought out in the light of the presence of Christ. That's the reason today we should be very careful how we live. And then he makes this remarkable statement, then shall every man have praise of God. I believe that every saint of God, that he's going to find something to praise us for. Did you notice in the seven churches of Asia, Mount, he commended all the churches with exception of one, which I don't think is his church anyway. It's just an organization, the church of Laodicea. But he had something good to say about all of them. He also had words of condemnation, but also word of commendation. And we all have praise of God. There was a dear little lady in a church years ago that always had something good to say about everybody, and especially the preacher. 
And one day they had a visiting preacher, and he preached the most miserable sermon anybody ever listened to. And people sat there wondering, what in the world will the dear little lady say about this sermon today? And they all gathered around. And when she went out, she smiled and shook hands with the preacher, and she says, Oh, pastor, you had a wonderful text today. Well, may I say you can find something to praise them for. Then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. Paul says, I'm just using this as an illustration for you. Paul and Apollos, we're friends. We belong to Christ. Christ belongs to us. And each one's exercising his gift. How wonderful that is. That ye might learn in us not to think of man above that which is written. That no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? You have a gift today, and some of you have wonderful gifts. Maybe you're a musician. You have anything to boast about. God gave it to you. You're not the originator of it at all. We ought to thank God for our gifts, you see, and not have anything to boast about. We haven't. Now he says, now you're full. Now you're rich. You've reigned as kings without us. And I would to God you did reign. He said, I wish... Christ had come so we could reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath sent forth us the apostles last, as it were, appointed to death, doomed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to man. Great deal could be said about this verse. The apostles, oh, that great martyr period of the church, set before the world as a spectacle. Not only to the world, but to angels and to men. And I think that means the church today. Other men have labored, friends. We've entered into their labors. Now Paul says what he'd gone through in order that actually that you and I might have this epistle and be enjoying it right now. And I trust we're enjoying it. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong, you're honorable, but we are despised. Then he goes on, as I read a moment ago, the position that he took. You and I can't dream of what this great apostle suffered in order to get the gospel of Christ out. And my, how he was affected. He evangelized Asia Minor, friends. We are told there in, in the province of Asia that everyone, both Jew and Gentile, heard the word of God. And he goes on to say that he was the missionary that led them to the Lord. Though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I begotten you through the gospel. It's wonderful, friends, to be the spiritual father of someone that you've led to Christ. Now he says, verse 17, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, another one of his converts, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere and in every church. Now some are puffed up, though I'd not come to you. But he says, I'm going to come to you shortly, and we'll know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. He says, I don't care about your talk. 
I want to know whether there's power in your life. For the kingdom of God is not in word, it's power. But will ye, shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? And their attitude and action will determine that. Now we go on next time to chapter 5. We move in another area, and I'm sure Paul didn't enjoy it. It's the scandals that were in the Corinthian church. We'll see that next time. May God richly bless you, my beloved. Oh boy, scandals. Yes, they were in the early church too. You can read ahead in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and get your head and your heart ready for what we'll study next time. You know, I've said it before, but I highly suggest that you read ahead of each study. It's really a great way to get on board the Bible bus in a more meaningful way. Just download a copy of the reading schedule from ttb.org forward slash bookmark or give us a call at 1-800-65-BIBLE. And you can always drop us an email at biblebus at ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, and God willing, I'm going to be here next time saving you a seat on the Bible bus as this five-year journey continues. Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world, and we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?